Uh, right to go. I've just muted everybody. This is a share on the book of Yechezkel, Illuvin Shmuel, Samafram, Shmuel, Ben Avamari, HaKohen, Nechaya, Tova, Bas, Eliezer, Mandel, HaKohen. We are in chapter two. We're on verse one. Um, just to recap the verse. The verse says very straightforward verses, it seems, as a lot of these verses are in this chapter. But there's a lot of um, things going on behind the scenes. It says... Just after the vision of the first chapter, where Yechezkel fell on his face, uh, it says, God said to me, Ben Odom, son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Um, we spent a lot of time last week discussing this idea of Ben Odom. We'll come back to it in a minute. Um, but um, this idea of that uh, God or the there's a, a machlokis which I, I think I mentioned last week that there is a discussion here who is talking in this prophecy who is actually talking to Yechezkel the majority opinion that it's he's hearing directly from God uh, there is another opinion which we'll see in a second it's the opinion of Barbanel and some others that he's hearing uh, the prophecy he's hearing it indirectly from a malach from an angel in any event, he's commanded to get off the floor. This is no time to sit down. Uh, you're going to get a, a message from God here. And we discussed a little bit about this idea of Ahmad Raglecha. And the Abarabanel uh, makes the following point. He says, Yechezkel may have laid himself down, face down, at the end of the vision of the first chapter, thinking that was the end of the prophecy, like it was a, 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 a prophecy in vision only. It was a, a video clip without audio, audio um, without any audio clip, uh, without any um, audio attachment. But the words here, Amod al-Raglecha, were to tell him that uh, this is not the end of the prophecy. This is the beginning of a great journey. This is the start of your journey in the exile. It says, the Barabinel says, the, the overriding feature of this prophecy that we have in this second chapter of Yechezkel, is to inform um, Yechezkel that Yechezkel has to be prepared to stand up for himself. Like a man who's ready and willing to walk a path that he is destined to tread. Uh, at which point, when he stands up, he would receive instructions about the task that uh, awaits him. And if Yechezkel was, so to speak, awestruck and um, overwhelmed, from the vision that he saw in the first chapter, this is why the Malach, it's a, 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 an angel speaking to him, not directly from God. These are the words of the prophet, the uh, angel to him. Don't worry if you're overwhelmed, if you're uh, worried about what's uh, ahead of you, the task ahead of you. You'll be, you'll be sent along your way. You'll be accompanied on your mission by divine, the divine presence, the Ruach HaKodesh, 
which leads and accompanies all the prophets and strengths, uh, uh, fortifies them with some type of inner strength when they're on the journey uh, of prophecy. So that now, when Yecheskel stands listening to this Maloch, this either a Maloch or it's directly to God, he's going to hear the uh, specifics of his Shlichut, of his mission. And the specifics of the mission, of this particular mission, are to speak to the approach to the Jewish people that are rebelling against God or had rebelled against God. It's not clear from the language, but certainly Moradim implies present tense that they're still rebelling against God. So that is going to be the essence of his mission here uh, in this first uh, first prophecy. Uh, finally, before we move on to verse 2, um, I just want to mention again the Ben Yoda from a Kabbalistic perspective, um, seeing as this book is really suffused with Kabbalistic um, um, innuendo and Kabbalistic ideology, ideas. Um, this this idea of Yechezkel being called ben Odo. No other Novi and no other prophet is called ben Odo. Um So the ben Yoda has got uh, uh, something to say here. He says, look, the word Ben has a good God of Gematria 52. Ben, base, nun, 52. It's the same gematria as behema, animal, domesticated animal, which is also gematria 52. A base is two, a hay is five, is seven. Mem is 40, is 47, and a hay is five, which is 52. So it says the ben Ishchai, what distinguishes a ben from a behema? What is the difference? So he says the number two, the number 52 is twice 26 which is 26 is the gematria of God's name, Yud, Ahay, Avob, and Ahay, which is 26. And the number 52 is twice that, indicating that a Ben, a real Jew, is made up of two sections of the Torah. He is the Torah, the written law and the oral law, both composed by God. Two times 26 is 52. So that is a Ben, a Ben. A Ben is someone a Jew that walks around with the oral law and the written law ingrained inside of him. And then he writes as follows. He Torah, the stature of Ben, of a, of a, of a Ben. Zohar bo ish Yisrael. Al yidei osek b'torah. It signifies, the word Ben signifies the idea that a man is osek b'torah. He's involved in Torah. Beni Bechori Yisrael. God describes the Jewish people as Beni, my son, my son, Ben, who, is, who have accepted upon themselves the Torah. Ben being 52, and again, 52 is twice 26, which is, indicates the oral and the written law. Kosher ad Odomarisha. And the idea of a Jew is also that they are miyuchosim. They have a kosher zera. They have a kosher trail leading back all the way to Odomarisha, to the first man. The Torah Odom ha niten Odomarishan, shame at smai alashen nivro mino adoma. And uh, the first man was given the name Odom 
because he was created from the Adama, from the dirt. Therefore, a, a Jew can be, if a Jew is an Amoritz, is an ignoramus, he's not got the right to use the title Ben, the son. But he's still an Odom. He still, he still traces back his, back his lineage to Odom Arisha. Kizari Yisrael. You can be an Odom without being a Ben Odom. An Odom is a regular man. A Ben Odom is uh, someone that's come from the line of Odom Arishon that's infused with Torah. So the, the, so the Ben Ishchai says, a true Ben Odom, like Yecheskel, is a Jew with two crucial uh, characteristics. He has an unbroken Yichus of being Jewish, plus his makeup is all about keeping, learning, and performing the laws of both the written and the oral Torah which makes him a Ben Odom. So that's why he says Yecheskel is described as a Ben Odom uh, because he had every, everything going for him in terms of being, so to speak, the perfect Jew. So that's uh, the Ben Ishchai in a sort of Kabbalistic mode. So we have Yecheskel. Yecheskel has been told to, he's called Ben Odom, uh, which he will be called throughout the book. And he now has been told to stand on his feet and receive word about what his mission is going to be. So in Posuk Beis, in verse 2, um, we're told that uh, he has a bit of a problem. He has a bit of a problem standing up. But of all, he, it's, he's speaking now, Yecheskel speaking. But of all, be ruach. A spirit entered me. When he, God, or the Malach, spoke to me. And the Ruach, this spirit that entered me, stood me on my feet. And I heard that which was speaking to me. Now this word Midaber is very, very unusual. Um, but the literal translation is, I heard. That which was speaking to me. And uh, again, we'll have to deal with this word in a second. But uh, just to go through the verse uh, and describe exactly what's going on. Uh, really, even though Yechezkel is commanded in verse 1, stand up. He's told to stand up. He's commanded to stand up. It appears that he didn't have the strength to do so and needed the assistance of a ruach, some type of spirit that entered him and enabled him to stand. So the question is, what is the ruach? What, uh, what, what, what is this ruach that entered him, that uh, enabled him to stand? So the Babanel says like this, It's not the spirit, don't get carried away. It's not the spirit of nevuah, of prophecy. Um, the, the language of prophecy doesn't come till verse 3. So uh, when God tells him, you know, I'm sending you on a mission. So this isn't, when it says here that the spirit came into him that enabled him to stand, it wasn't the spirit of prophecy. This spirit that came into him, Huruach HaKodesh, it was a Holy Spirit, Shikamosh Zohar Harav Hamora, uh, as uh, described by Harav Hamora, 
when uh, the Barbanel uses the language Harab Hamora, he's talking about Maimonides, he's talking about the Rambam. He says, this language of Ruach HaKodesh, Shazoch HaRab Hamora, it's a divine ability that allows a person to overcome physical frailty and uh, get extra physical strength that is given to Nevi'im under particular circumstances. Um, we often find that Nevi'im are put into tremendously difficult physical circumstances. We know that Eliyahu Nobi, for example, spent a lot of time by himself in the desert doing nothing, right? What was he doing? What was he eating? What was he, you know, what was he drinking? So the... Um, the idea is that uh, uh, a, a Novi has a special Ruach, has a special physical ability that's given to him by God to overcome uh, physical disabilities, or phys not physical disabilities, but physical um, impositions that uh, a regular person wouldn't be able to overcome. Uh, Larry's written, what is the connection of Ben and Bahama, which is also 52? Could it be that a person who does not follow the oral and written law is only a behemoth? That's the implication of the Benish Chai. And also, yes, that's the implication of the Benish Chai. And also, as I've, I've mentioned on, on a, a few occasions, that what we say in the morning, um, every morning when we daven, Umosa Odom in a It's a quote from Koheles. What, what, what the literal translation is, um, what, what advantages has a man over an animal? Oyin, nothing. Um, like, it's almost as if um, uh, Shlomo Melech is saying there's no difference between a man and a behemoth. There's no difference between a, a man and, a, and a, uh, an animal. But what, if, you read the pos if you read the verse correctly, it's umosa odom in a behemoth is a question mark. What is what a special advantage does a human being have over an animal? Oyin is the answer. The ability to say no. Uh, an animal can't say no. An animal acts only on instinct, has no free will, and can't say no. You put nuts in front of the squirrel, the squirrel will take the nuts. You put something stolen in front of a man and he knows it's stolen, he's got the ability to say no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get myself involved in something criminal. So that is, uh, but that's that's what um, that's what uh, the Benishchai is uh, is uh, alluding to here. He's alluding to the fact that a, a Jew without the Torah is just a behemoth. He just, um, you know, even a non-Jew without the morals, without the, the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Nalik is also a behemoth, as could clearly be demonstrated by the Germans. Right? They behave like like animals. And it's something that's reoccurred in human history on many occasions, human being acting like animals. As Avram Avinu says, he wouldn't stay in a place. There's no fear of God in this place. When there's a place where there's no fear of God, where there's no recognition that there's a, an ultimate judge, so anything can happen in a society like that. So, yes, uh, as far as the Jews concerned, uh, you know, if you've got no Torah inside you, you're just a behemoth, you're just an animal. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's this special ability that a, a Navi has, physical ability, that's not called prophecy, that in order to be a prophet, uh, they have to have some extra 
physical ability uh, to overcome uh, certain physical physical uh, uh, trials that they have to go through. Uh, if you look at many of the prophets, they're beaten, they're, they're put in prison, and uh, as I said earlier, our Nobby spent time out in the desert doing nothing. You know, the birds had to bring him food. So the ability to overcome physical, um, you know, you, today you'd call them adventurers. Uh, you know, people that go out voluntarily. You see these programs on TV, people voluntarily go out into the, you know, into the desert and survive there for 10 days, you know, killing as they go along, killing food as they go along. Well, it wouldn't be for me, but, uh, you know, I prefer to go to, uh, what's that place, Kazan, and sit down and have a meal, and I'm quite proud happy to pay for it. I don't want to go out into the, into the jungle and, uh, you know, run around half naked searching for my food. Um, but the prophets have this special ability. This is what the, this is what the uh, Abarabana is telling you. Be'im carries on, finishes off the Abarabana. And since Yechezkel was probably physically weak and drained, overwhelmed by the vision of the chariot, which took place in the first chapter, remember the vision only took seconds. We read it, it took us seven months to read it, but from Yechezkel's perspective, the whole thing took seconds. Um, but nevertheless, it was a very, very powerful prophecy, and it overwhelmed him. Nevertheless, says the Abarbanel, as a result of that, he needed an infusion of physical and mental strength, that allowed him to stand up and receive the prophecy, which we will uh, uh, discuss shortly. Uh, alternatives, alternatively, some learn that Yechezkel, despite being told, Amod al-Raglecho, in verse 1, to stand on your feet, he, in his humility, didn't want to stand. We, we discussed the humility of um, Yechezkel last week. Um, next to Moshe Rabbeinu, probably the, one of the most, or the most humble person that ever lived. Um, even though, uh, as some of Forshin points out, some commentators point out, he did have the strength to stand up. He just didn't feel that he, he was worthy of standing in front of God. So he wanted to remain prostrate. But God, uh, God wasn't having any of it. And so to speak, he forced Yechezkel to stand by injecting a, di a divine ruach, a divine strength into the prophet that forced him to stand. Like it wasn't something that gave him strength that he had the ability to stand of his own accord, so to speak, he was overtaken by some sort of divine force that forced him onto his feet. Whichever way it was, um, he stood up. And then he announced, midaber I heard that which was speaking to me. Now, this word midaber is very strange. Uh, we don't find it in the rest of the Tanakh. We only find it once anywhere else, and we find it in the Torah. Um, we find it once in the Torah in Bamidbar, and we find this word here in the book of Yechezkel. So in order to understand what it is, what it means, that which was speaking to me. So we have to look at the Pasuk in Bamidbar in chapter 7 in Parshas Nosso, which we read quite a few weeks ago now. Um, <clears throat> and the Pasuk is discussing the dedication of the Mizbeach. Uh, they built the Mizbeach and they had a dedication and... Uh, it says, Moshe el -ohel -moed, when Moshe K would come to the Ohel Moed, to the tent of meeting, Ladaber Ito, to speak with him, to speak with God, by Ishmael Esakol, he heard a voice, Midaber Elov, which was speaking to him, Meala Kapores, from the uh, 
the Kaporas, which was where the two Cherubim, the two cherubs were, Asher al Aaron Ho'edus, which were above the covering, which is over the, uh, the ark, and it spoke to him. So Rashi there, Rashi there, um, so points out this word midaber, midaber. He says he points out this midaber is uh, very strange, uh, and he says really the word midaber is short for the word misdaber, mitdaber. It's a reflexive form, literally mean meanings speaking to yourself speaking to itself. Um, and what Moshe Rabbein is saying is out of reverence for God, the Torah uh, writes it that way. In, the, in other words, the, as if God's voice is speaking to himself. And Moshe is an outsider just being given the privilege of listening in. Um, and uh, the point, and again, here's the, here's the comparison between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yechezkel because this word midaber only occurs by Moshe and by Yechezkel. And the point that Rashi is making in Bamidbar is that midab, midaber with a shavah under the mem is active, midaber. Ani midaber, I'm speaking. But, as, and, um, and uh, it, it's active. So you're speaking, someone's listening to you or someone's speaking to you. Who midaber? He is speaking. The word Midaber, which is the word here with a chirik, which is here in Yechezkel, and there by Moshe Rabbeinu as well, is expressing the idea that God is speaking, so to speak, um, not directly to Moshe or Yechezkel, but rather he's speaking to himself. And Moshe and Yechezkel were allowed to listen in to God's words. And the reflexive language, midaber and mitdaber, misdaber, are there to reflect that God speaking to a mortal is, so to speak, a disrespect to God's honor. Like God doesn't really, uh, you know, if God's got a comment to make that's not prophecy. God's got a comment to make that's not prophecy. So, you know, it's not appropriate that a human being should listen in. But on a rare occasion, so to speak, God will allow a human being to listen into his thoughts, into his will and get an insight into, so to speak, what God's frame of mind is, which is why the reflexive language indicating that Moshe and Yechezkel specifically were allowed to listen into God speaking. It doesn't mean literally listen to God speaking, but listening to God's will, so to speak. They had a, access to God's will. Um, sure. And it's important, yeah. Because you've got this word a lie coming afterwards, which means that the speech, whatever it is, couldn't be the reflexive God speaking to himself, it's speaking to Nevesco. No, that's how it, it that's how it appeared to him. It appeared to him, it appeared to him that the voice was speaking to him. But the reality the, the reality was that God had just allowed him to listen into his own thoughts. In other words, verse 3 is not connected to verse 1, uh, verse 2. Now look at the end of verse 2, the verse we're currently looking at. What does it say? The last three, the last four es, words. Es midbar elai. Es midaber elai, right? That which was speaking to me. From, from Yechezkel's perspective, God is speaking to him. The reality is, that when he joins in the conversation, so to speak, God is not talking to him at that point. 
Because if you look at the next posset, what's the, what's the first word in the next posset? Ah. Vayomer Eli. Right. So, Vayomer Eli. When God finished doing what he was doing, he are you spoke, with me? Yeah, he spoke specifically to, uh, to... To me. Yeah, okay. So uh, the, the, point I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is the point is raised. It's not my point. It's, it's been ra it's raised by many of the Mephorashim here. Uh, that it's not really surprising that these two prophets, Moshe and Yechezkel, are described as, so to speak, having permission to listen to God's internal speech, so to speak, internal WhatsApps, internal uh, correspondence. Because these two are both the embodiment of the middah of anivas, of humility. They, therefore, as extremely humble individuals, felt uncomfortable with the notion that the people in the future would think that they were so great that God spoke to them directly. Um, and that their humbleness demanded that they were thought of as just having had the privilege to listen in, rather than actually being spoken to directly. And even though Yechezkel and Moshe write exactly what God tells them to write, the idea from these words is that God, so to speak, wants the readers of the future generations to understand that he, God, has got a tremendous respect for the humility of these two individuals, and that from Yechezkel's perspective, God spoke, and I happened to be listening. That's, if you remember, in the first chapter, we see that right at the beginning of the first chapter, where Yechezkel is talking, and he says, you know, I just happened to be walking by the river, and uh, I just happened to be there, and the, the heavens opened, and I saw the chariot of God. You know, lucky me. Um, now, I'm not special. It just happened to me. It could have happened to anybody. So again, here, um, there's an idea of midaber. It only occurs by Moshe, and it only, uh, only occurs by Moshe and by Yechezkel. So we have to picture it as, as, as if, so to speak, God was like uh, slipping him into the office. You know, you have the situation where, you know, you come up, you come up, you've got an appointment to see somebody at 10 o'clock. And the secretary lets you into the office and the big boss is sitting there behind him, but he's on the phone to somebody at the time. So he just, uh, you know, nods to you to sit down and he finishes off the conversation. You know, he says, you know, I've got an appointment. I'll have to call you back in five minutes. There's someone here to see me. So it's, it's similar, like similar to that, like, so to speak, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and uh, Yechezkel are, so, so to speak, invited in. Uh, into God's inner sanctum, so to speak, when he's dealing with other issues and he gets to over here. Um, God's thought patterns and God's, uh, God's uh, thoughts. Um, and uh, that's, that's this language, midaber, mistaber, as Rashi points out in, in Chumash. So, and, and really, it's only these two prophets that, that have that privilege. So now, what did he say to him? So when, when God finished doing what he was doing, finally, Vayomer Eli, God said to me, now this, it's not Vayedaber, it's Vayomer, very softly spoken. Vayomer Eli, um, ben Odom, again, Ben Odom, Sholech Ani Oscho El Bnei Yisrael. Now, if you, if you, just to, this is something we're going to, I'm, I'm not going to deal with it now. You'll see throughout the book, uh, God talking to Yechezkel will, will say, um, like in verse one, uh, it, verse one of this chapter, it says, Vayomre Eli, Ben Odom, Amod Raglecho, Va'adaber Osoch, in the feminine. Here in verse 3, it says, um, 
In the masculine. So there's a reason for all of that, but I'm, I'm, I, it's not appropriate to deal with it now. I'm going to deal with it later in a later chapter. But just to, just to mention that uh, on certain occasions, God will address uh, Yechezkel, so to speak, which what, in what appears to be the feminine form, and on some occasions in the masculine form, and there are reasons for it. But we'll, we'll, as I said, we'll deal with that later. Anyway, back to the verse, verse 3. This is the job. I'm sending you to the children of Israel. To a rebellious nation which rebelled against me. They and their fathers poshubi, sinned against me, had iniquities against me. Ad etzem hayom Till this very day. Etzem. What's the word etzem mean? Etzem means a bone. Um, so the literal translation is ad etzem hayom hazeh, till the bone of this day. So this language, the language of this posseh is a little bit difficult to understand because there are words here that we haven't come across before that we have to um, pay special attention to. Uh, but notwithstanding the way we learn the last verse, that Yechezkel is, so to speak, listening in as God speaks, the Abarbanel is of the opinion here that now it's an angel that the prophet hears. Like he, in the previous verse, he was listening to what God said, and now the angel, so to speak, says to him, never mind that, you know, don't listen to, you know, don't listen into what God's talking about. I've got a message for you. So this is a, a machlokis that runs through the book, whether when Yechezkel receives prophecy, he receives it directly from God, which is the majority opinion, or whether he, see, he receives it secondhand from a a maloch. And now the Barabanel is the opinion that he's receiving prophecy from a maloch, which is why he says the following. The words in this posse come from a maloch, from, from an angel. I'm sending you on a mission to the Jewish people. And listen, this mission, it's a difficult one. It, uh, it's not something they, they started, it's not, the complaint against the Jewish people is not something they started doing yesterday or the day before. This goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. The complaints against the Jewish people uh, is not about their recent poor behavior. This goes back generations. Um, so this is, this is the outline of this possum. Um, now, there are certain advantages and disadvantages that Yechezkel has uh, when going on his mission for God. And um, I, I want to deal with, with both of them here uh, before we even get into the book of Yechezkel. So the Chidar of Chaim David Azulai says like this. Uh, he tells you the advantages that Yechezkel has when going on this mission to God. He's going to speak to a people that uh, have been rebelling for 400 years that have been sinning for 400 years. So he says like this, this is the Chidor, Rav Chaim David Azulai. He says, So the Chidor says, this is God speaking, not, not Lamar. He says, Listen, Yechezkel, you've got two advantages in this mission. Number one is, the guy that's sending you is God. Uh, God, it's God sending you on this mission. 
So obviously, I've got you. You must have great virtue. You've been picked very carefully, um, and God chooses His messengers very carefully. And therefore, it's obvious that you have the ability to complete this task, which is a, a sign of God's confidence in Yechezkel. That's His first advantage. The second advantage is that your mission is to the Jewish people. Because they are the children of the living God. The unique nation in creation. This too shows my confidence in you. If you'll ask like this, that the Jewish people are considered God's children only that as the, uh, the Mishnah says, that they, they're only considered bonim l'ashem l'okeichem. They're the only considered children of the b'nei el-chai, the, the, the children of the living God, when they're keeping the Torah. But im ain osim ritzona, but if they're not keeping the Torah, lo nikru bonim, kusvoros Rabbi Yehuda, peirat kamadikidushit, which is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda in the first chapter, the first peirat of the Gomorrah Kedushin, he says that, no, the halacha karab that the halacha is not like Rabbi Yehuda in that Gemara, uh, and that uh, the Jewish people are always considered bonim lashem elokecha, that the Jewish people are always considered children, however far away they have, uh, how, however uh, difficult the relationship is between father and son, the Jewish people are always considered the uh, the bnei el chai the children of the living God, which is why it doesn't matter what situation the Jewish people are in on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Vinu Malkein, or Vinu comes first. Even on the Yom Hadin, you'd think on the Yom Hadin, when we met the 10 days of uh, repentance, when we, when we make God the Melech, we announce God, we, 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 we um, coronate God as the king, nevertheless, when we uh, appeal directly to God, Ovinu Malkeinu, we use the Ovinu, the familial first, without before we use the uh, the idea of God. So he says that. Sorry, we're getting feedback here. Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah. So he says that and he quotes the Rajbot, one of the uh, 13th century. Um, Sephardia Rishonim, who is the um, Talmud, the student of the Ramban, Nachmanides, it says in the next verse, Vahabonim. He says that the proof is that the Jewish people who are, who are called rebellious in this chapter are also called Bonim. The first word of the next verse is Bonim, that they're called Habonim. That's the, um, that's the first words of the next verse, no? Um, or is it the next verse or is it the verse after? But in any way, just look. Yeah, in verse four, yeah, it, 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 they, the Jewish people are described, Vahabonim, the children, Kishayponim. They're very cheeky. They're very impudent. So he says, Vahabonim. So the Koloma, Hagam, Shahim, Kishayponim, Vachizkeleiv, even though the Jews are uh, misbehaving and they're impudent and they're cheeky and they're rude and they don't keep the Torah and everything else about them, Nevertheless, Nikruban, they're still called children. So those are the advantages that Yechezkel has, that uh, he's got God behind him, 
God's going to help him. He's going to the Jewish people who are God's children. And um, good luck. He's, uh, he, those are his advantages. But the disadvantages that Yechezkel has got are outlined by the Malbim. So the Malbim says, Yisrael. He says, listen, this, it, it might sound great to be, you know, to have the job as a, as a prophet to a rebellious bunch of Jews. He says, but uh, it's not such a, you know, it's not such a metzia to be, to have that job. Really, the nature of the Jewish people is not to be rebellious Hashem, with God. But Avil Imordu Einam Shiva But the problem with the Jews is that, that, that they don't normally rebel against God. They do have errors and uh, you know they don't keep the Torah and uh, they drive on Shabbos and they eat treif and you know they do all sorts of uh, other stuff, but they're not naturally rebellious against God. They they'll always um, they always got God at the back of their minds. And the, the truth is the northern kingdoms of Israel. And the southern kingdoms, even at the time when they were worshipping idols, they didn't worship idols exclusively. You know, they used to, you know, they used to, you know, they used to go to shul and they used to daven and they used to, you know, they used to have uh, seder night and all that type of stuff. Just that they mixed it in with other stuff. They had Christmas Day as well and uh, Eid and all sorts of nonsense, right? So it was a mixture. So ain't darakam limrod Bashem. It's not the nature of the Jewish people to dafka launch a rebellion against God, but Avil Immordu, but when they do, Enam Krovit Shuva, Bakoshila Shiva. But when they do, the problem with Jews is it's very hard to get them to Shuva, to do to Shuva. But by the same token, Bahagoyim, the uh, the nations, the other nations, Darkam Limrod Bashem, their 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 nature is to rebel against God. Avil Hain Krovit Shuva. But when they're put in their place, they do to Shuva. When you find a Novi, which is rare, going to the nations of the world, uh, they, the nations of the world listen to the Novi. And if you want a proof of that, just think about the story of Yonah. Yonah went to the city of Nineveh. He didn't really want them to do Teshuvah. He didn't really give them a very much Musa. He just said, you know, 40 days, you're gonna, the city's going to be destroyed. Um, and uh, they did Teshuvah which is very unlike, uh, that's something that the Jewish people never listened to in 400 years. So, and we also find uh, we scattered throughout Tanakh situations where non-Jewish people have been given a rebuke by a Jewish prophet and they immediately did Shuvah or became Jewish or converted. Uh, the story of Naaman and various other stories that we see in Tanakh, the, the chief executioner, of Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed Yushalayim and converted to Judaism. Anyway, so he, so he says, Amalei, so God tells Yechezkel, you're going to have two problems being a prophet to the Jewish people. Number one, Shehem B'nai Yisrael, they're Jews. And Jews don't want to listen to the words of a prophet, right? They just don't. Empirical evidence over the last 400 years, and from Yechezkel's time, indicates that Jews do not listen to their prophets, no matter what they say and no matter what miracles they perform. And the other problem, Ubermasehem heim goyim hamorad. They've become, it's become their nature now to rebel. So the, 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 the idea here, the Malbim is, we're going to see what the Malbim is 
getting at in a second is that he's getting at the point that Yechezkel's been sent to the rebellious Jewish people. They weren't always rebellious. Originally, they were just sinners. But more recently, they became rebellious. When they transformed themselves from just plain old sinners into rebels, that's when God decided to exile them, kick them out Yushalayim, and destroy the base of Migdosh. Now they're considered to be Goyim Hamorah, that Yehuda and Binyamin, the tribe, the southern tribes, because of their nature, their new nature, they're going to be very hard to convince to do any type of teshuva because they're in a state of rebellion. They don't want to listen to anything. But lo me'ato, says the Malvin, and this just didn't start now, rak avosom pishu, their forefathers were sinners. Vaheim mordu, these guys have graduated from just sinning to rebellion. Shahamerit godol min hapesha, because rebellion is far greater than just plain old sinning. And unfortunately, this downward spiral has continued to this day. So the Malvin is, is telling you there's a big difference between their forefathers. The forefathers, who were also sinners, were also worshipped idols, also ate cheeseburgers, also didn't keep Shabbos, right? So all these people, they, they didn't have to suffer the base Amigdash being destroyed. They didn't suffer having to go into exile. They didn't suffer having the uh, Yerushalayim uh, flattened like a field. And the reason was they were Pesha. This generation has developed, has, um, has uh, gone up a grade, so to speak, or gone down a grade into the state of Mered, into the state of rebellion. And the, and the Malvin tells you the difference. Mordu Pishu. What's the difference between rebellion and Pesha? Pesha is a sin that you do amazing. You do it deliberately. Listen, I know I'm not allowed to eat cheeseburgers. But you know what? I like cheeseburgers and I'm going to eat one. Not because I want to upset God. You know, I don't really care whether God likes it or not, but I'm not trying to upset him deliberately. I just like cheeseburgers. That's a Pesha. Mordu, Mered, is something worse. Mered is absolute rebellion. Mered is, I don't like cheeseburgers. But you know what? God says don't eat cheeseburgers. So despite the fact that I don't like them, I'm going to have one. So the Malam tells you the big difference. He says... You know, a pesha, a sin, can be any type of sin, a regular sin, breaking the Torah, being rude to another human being, you know, eating tray, breaking Shabbos, that's a pesha, that's a sin. But, that is when a servant rebel, rebel, rebels, rebel, rebels against the king. And this is what's going on in this period in history. The Jewish people had rebelled against God. Someone that throws off the yoke of heaven from, from, from his shoulders. He is much worse than a sinner. So the message here, um, the, the, the message that, uh, that the Malvim is trying to get over is you, you, so you've got the advantages he, uh, that the Chidah says. The advantages are, you know, uh, the Chidah looks at the glass half full. Uh, great, you've got the great advantage. God's with you on your mission, and the Jewish people, you know, they know what it's all about. The Malbim says, no, these are all disadvantages. Jews don't like listening to prophets. And this particular group of Jews you're going to, they're not just regular sinners, they're rebellious sinners. 
and uh, you know, you you the, the, they might string you up. So take it as you will. The Malbim says glass half empty. The Chidah says glass half full. So this is the mission that he's being told on, and he's being told to go. Out, out, hold on, is there any questions here? Hold on, let's see. Uh, so what is the connection of the Ben? Oh, so we've had that one. Al Tikra Bonim, Elabonim. Yeah, that's Al Tikra Bonoich, Elabonoich. We say it every Friday night. Don't read your children. Read your builders. That's uh, that's we say that every Friday night. In, uh, yeah. Okay. So he says so that the Novi is told either by the Malach or by God Himself, El Goim Hamoradim. He calls he calls them he calls the Jewish people the people of Yehuda Goyim, and he calls them in the plural. He says, "I'm sending you El Goyim." In this verse, he says, "I'm sending you El Goyim Hamoradim." To the nations that rebelled, like what he's talking, the the people in exile are from the uh, country of Yehuda. Who are the goyim here? Why is it in the plural? So Rashi says a simple uh, explanation. He says Shnei Shavotim. There are two tribes here. There are two two tribes in Golis in exile. You know, the tribes of Binyamin and Yehuda. So uh, that's who the majority of the world's Jews are today. The majority that, apart from the Kohanim and the Levim. Uh, that we have among us, the majority of people in the world today, Jewish people in the world today, are from these two tribes, from Binyamin and Yehuda. So that's why it's called Goyim. They call them two, two, two nations because essentially they are, they were two nations. And interestingly enough, some want to say that the reason why Binyamin and Yehuda are, are both called a nation is they both had the privilege to have Jewish kings. Binyamin had the first Jewish king, who was King Shaul. And uh, Yehuda had all the subsequent kings in the south uh, from the tribe of Yehuda, from the Malchus based David, from the uh, monarchy of King David. So that's, that's Rashi's opinion. So the Radak says, He says, no, the reality is that the kingdom of Yehuda was only one nation. But he said, The, 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 the Chiluk here, the reason why God calls the nation two nations is you got two different uh, groups of people doing two different um, act, uh, evil, two different types of evil actions. So that they were, they were practicing idolaters, but they disagreed with each other, which idols they should worship. So one at one group, he doesn't say which tribe, one tribe were, worshipped the gods of the Ammonites, and one tribe worshipped the gods of the Moabites, or, or even other nations, the Baal, etc. So he said they acted like Goyim, different Goyim. They, they worshipped different gods. So God calls them Goyim. So what's interesting is uh, this idea of the Jewish people being called the Goy is a very different, it's, it's an interesting question in Halacha. Um, because on the one hand, uh, the Jewish people are referred to as a goy. Now, we, we, when we talk about a non-Jew, non-Jew disrespectfully, we say, you know, he's a goy, right? There are other words we use, which are not very nice. But one of the words we do, we use is we say, oh, you know, uh, so-and-so is a goy, right? In South Africa, Rob will tell you 
Rob Hyde will tell you he had other words for Goyim, right? And uh, people from Manchester will tell you there's other words. And Efri's smiling there. There's other words for Goyim, right? Uh, Batesky and uh, a Yok and a uh, Yekelter and uh, all these words, right? And Chattas. And uh, there's every, every Jew in every country has got a different word for a, for a Goy. But to the general, the, the universal word is a Goy. And yet, why should we call them a Goy? On Shabbos Mincha, Shabbos Mincha, the Jewish people are described, Ata Echad Echad. We talk to God. You are one, uh, and your name is one. Umika Amcha Yisrael, and who is like your people Israel? Goy Echad Baareth. One Goy. We're the Goy. So on the one hand, we're the Goy, right? We're, we're the Goy. We're the Goy Echad. So that's on one, on one, um, um, uh, on one thing, and yet in the morning we say a bracha. Bracha to Hashem lekelim shaloa sunny guy. You didn't make me a guy. So my rebbe zeichel yisadik rocha said you shouldn't say that in the morning. You shouldn't say shaloa sunny guy. You should say shaloa sunny nochri. That's wrong. The the words wrong in the in the, the bracha. It's not shaloa sunny guy. It's shaloa sunny nochri. Nochri is a a, a a gentile or pagan or a gentile. A guy can be a Jew. You did make me a, a goy with uh, and the Gemara in Brocha says that's what's written on the tefillin of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We have on our tefillin, you know, the words of the of Shema uh, Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Echad, and God's words on His tefillin is Goy Echad Baaret Umika Amcha Yisrael Goy Echad Baaret. So, like uh, the uh, in a mutual um, uh, um, mutually uh, congratulatory uh, exercise, God's tefillin reflects our tefillin, our appreciation of God and God's appreciation of us. So this word goy is a bit of a, a bit of a strange word. Anyway, there's a lot to be said about the word goy, but uh, again, now's not the time for it. It's something to, uh, uh, if, you're, if it's something that tickles your fancy, you can investigate the the origins of the word goy and how it applies to the Jewish people and how it applies to the non-Jewish. Goy doesn't mean Gentile. No, goy means nation. A goy, a goy. It means that we've used it colloquially to mean a goy, right? <laughs> a goy is a goy. Like we used to have a, a the I used to have a rob. He used to say, you know, in the in, in the in in the 1970s and 1980s when I went to school, so there was no political correctness. So he says a goy, you know, you tell him a story. So he says a goy is a goy. A goy is a goy, right? Now, what do you expect from a goy? So, but, but uh, it's not correct because the Jewish people are called a goy. But the word goy means nation, right? Goy otsum borov, a nation that is mighty and many and uh, populous. So a goy just means a nation. Um, uh, okay, so there's a lot to be said on the subject of the word goy and goyim. What does it mean? What does it refer to? Uh, there's a toysus. If you want to, uh, those that do like to do this in type of investigation, you can go to the Gemara in uh, in uh, in Kedushin on Daf Ayin on my base. The last toysus there uh, on Daf Ayin on my base in Kedushin deals with this issue in great detail. Um, and then you, you have the opinion of Rabbeinu Avraham uh, Hager. Uh, he gives you an insight into what the word goy means and goy means. So uh, if you got, I don't know if it's been translated, but uh, if, you, if you can get through a toysus, so there it is on daf, uh, yeah, kiddushin, daf, 
Daf Ayin, Omer Beis, the last Toysus down at the bottom, Omer of Chalboy. So that's the, the first words of the Toysus, Omer of Chalboy. Okay, that's, um, that's for another time. Let's get back to the, the Possum. So um, at the end of the Possum, now we come to the, uh, the, the real difficult language of the Possum. So uh, the Possum has basically told us, uh, in essence, um, that he's been sent on a mission and uh, the Jewish people, you know, they've been at, at this uh, sinning game for 400 years and uh, they started off just plain sinners, but now they're, um, they've developed into rebel rebels. And this is going to be a, the constant theme of this chapter, the word, uh, the idea of the Jewish people being rebels. And, but the, the, the most interesting words in this verse in verse three are the last three words, or last four words, ad etzem hayom hazeh, that the, the, the Jewish people have rebelled against me to this very day, ad etzem hayom hazeh. Now the question is, what on earth does he, do these words mean? As I said, the word etzem means a, um, is a, means a bone, like a bone. Uh, so it doesn't mean to, uh, until the bone of this day. So I, 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 I'm loath to start going through this explanation now because uh, we're up to the, um, okay. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up for questions and I'm gonna come back to this expression, ad etzema yom hazeh. Um, I think you, uh, you should be able to recognize the statement. Where, where, where do you see that statement uh, in, in, in the Torah? Ad etzema, or etzema yom, but etzema yom hazeh. Where, where do you see it? Where do you see it uh, mentioned in the Torah itself? Where does God discuss the language? Isn't that the Exodus? Correct. It's a reference to the Exodus. What's the connection between Yechezkel's language, Etzem Hayom Hazer, and the Exodus, which took place by Etzem Hayom Hazer? What's the connection? So that's for you to work out over the next uh, seven days. I'll deal with it. Uh, the first thing I'll deal with in next week's um, Shia is this language that occurs very irregularly throughout Tanakh, and it's got a, it gives a special insight into the way God operates in this world. And um, uh, there's a there are deep um, uh, messages. It's Sorry, it's not it's all, all over the place. Where is it all over the place? Bereshit Zion, Bereshit Yud Zion. Shmosh Yud Bet That's four times. Yeah, I've got seven on this page. So you oh. should be able to work out the connection. And any in any event, um, this is something we'll deal with next week. Up till now, uh, I'll take questions, and um, we'll call a halt there at this point. Etzemayamazo. As as I said, it's uh, it, there's, there's a very deep message in these words. Um, so if anybody's got any questions, now's the time. Gee whiz, no questions. No questions. Okay. okay. Thanks, Harry. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. <laughs> Why the Jews so rebellious? They don't learn. Why don't they change? Because they don't ever use, just like when they drive, they don't ever use the rear view mirror. They <laughs> never look at their own history and they never realize the mistakes they made. 
If you drive without a rear view minute mirror and you don't see what's going on behind you, you'll drive straight into a crash. That's what the Jewish people have been doing for 3000 years. They don't look into their own past and see the mistakes they made yesterday, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. They're quite happy to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And you know, yeah, the first, the first, what does it say, uh, Larry, the first sign of madness is if you do something two or three or four times and it doesn't work and you imagine that if you do the same thing again, it'll work, right? That is the first sign of madness. So the Jewish people have had plenty, plenty ex of experience in going down the same road a hundred times, a thousand times, and uh, you know what? They don't look in their rear view mirror. Yeah, okay, guys, that, uh, that'll do it for today. Next week, please, God, we'll, um, we'll discuss this, uh, this idea of Etzim Hayam Hazer and move swiftly through to verse 4. Call to Hi. everybody. Everyone should have a great week. And a, a and a Som Cal. Erwin uh, Posner says a sad commentary, a sad commentary on Jewish history. I presume you mean. Uh, yes, if that's what you mean, a sad commentary on Jewish history. It is a sad commentary on Jewish history. Yeah, very sad. Okay, bye bye, guys. See you next week. Harry, see you later.